You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 280. On today's show, we're doing something a little fun because today's guest is Glitbiter. Now, you know Glitbiter is Florence Bullock, who uh, appears on the family shows on Beyond Synth and, of course, is uh, you know a regular contributor to the show. But I've never technically had her on as a guest to talk about her music, and she finally has her EP coming out. And I thought it would be a fun idea to have her on the show as a guest and we'll uh, talk about her music and you all should go get it. And uh, of course, before that, we will listen to some cool music. I've got some letters to read, some other stuff to talk about, and we're going to do that right now. So let's listen to a track. This is a cool one from Baldo Caster from his album Mirage. This is Featherweight. Feather 
All right, and that was Featherweight by Baldo Caster, and that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. So how about we announce all the changes? So we have a new patron this week, Dominic Walter. In the Triple Six Club, the donation of the beast. Thanks, Dominic. You are cool, and thank you so much for supporting the show. I think we, uh, we're about due for a donation of the beast segment. I feel like it's been a while, so maybe we'll we'll get to that. But anyways, uh, thank you, Dominic, so much for supporting the show. I also want to say that Gary Heather has upgraded his support. That's right. Gary Heather is now in the $10 club, or as I like to call it, the 8-pound club, because it's 8 pounds of pure beef. Speaking of which, I've been trying to uh, sample meatless alternatives. Uh, I want to start working some of those things into my diet because pretty much every meal I make involves meat. Although I'm not like a huge meat eater, like I'm not like an every night eating steaks kind of dude, but everything I make usually has something in it. And I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to start uh, introducing some uh, vegetarian alternatives. And so I've been experimenting. Anyway, uh, I'd like to say that Mr. Magoo Samurai has upgraded his support. Did I already announce that? That's right, Mr. Magoo Samurai. Mr. Magoo, he's in the $25 club because he's a cool guy. You know, this year I thought it would be a good idea to print the Patreon donations on paper so that I would have like a paper with me every week instead of having to sign into the website, you know, because it feels nice to hold it in your hand, you know, like read it like an old-timey newscaster, but... uh, Every week there are changes, and then I feel like I'm fucking forgetting people, and I'm not reading the list right, so I don't know if it was a good idea or a bad idea, but I tell you what was a great idea, Mr. Magoo Samurai upgrading his support, because he's a cool guy. He also sent me a letter, I'll read that after the next song, and Caffeinated Pixels has upgraded his support. Well, he is still technically classified as being in the Donation of the Beast. Now this one's just confusing. Anyway, the point is this. <laughs> Thank you so much for supporting the show, everybody. You are all awesome people, and we'll be uh, delivering you awesome shows. And I hope you all enjoyed uh, last week's giant five-hour program. I didn't even know it was going to be five hours when I was editing it. That was literally a surprise. I thought it was going to be maybe like three and a half, four. And then uh, as I was getting towards the end of it, I'm like, oh, fuck. It's actually over five. It was like five hours and ten minutes, man. But I've gotten lots of nice messages from people saying that... Uh, it was useful for them because they were they had a big day of chores or they had a big drive ahead of them and uh, having a five hour show was uh, a good way to spend the time and I'll tell you what is another good way to spend the time is listening to awesome music so I want to listen to this one now this is a track from Parallels this was from the Visionaries 10th Anniversary Edition and this is a track called Vienna the Glitbiter Remix
right, and that was Vienna, the Glitbiter remix of the Parallels track. Isn't that cute? It's like a Glitbiter show. That's fun. And of course, Parallels is cool, and she's been on the show a few times. You can go check out those episodes. I'll put a link in the description. And that, of course, was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, it wouldn't be a cool day without talking about the cool kings of the Pattersons. That's right. Chris Dance, Robert D. Bishop Collector, and Mike Shima. Well, I feel like my voice is cracked there. Mike Shima. There we go. Uh, Look, (laughs) Uh, thank you all, of course, uh, for supporting the show. So, Mortal Kombat the movie came out, and I saw it. I've actually watched it twice all the way through. You know, I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan, so obviously I'm going to give this movie more scrutiny than it probably deserves because I'm a Mortal Kombat fan. Overall, I still think Mortal Kombat, the 1995 movie is the overall stronger film just because it has in my eyes a clearer narrative and clearer protagonists and sort of more of a through line and the fight scenes definitely all have this sort of like standout quality even though Mortal Kombat 1995 is incredibly corny like it's a corny cheesy movie uh, which I do enjoy watching a lot and it does have aspects that I think are annoying. So I do think Christopher Lambert in Mortal Kombat 1995 is annoying. And in some ways, I feel the same way about uh, the original Mortal Kombat film as I do about The Phantom Menace. Because, you know, I'm not, like, fond of the Star Wars prequels, but whenever I watch Phantom Menace, when the movie first begins, I'm always going in, you know, I remember that I don't like the movie, but since it's Star Wars, you know, I've seen it multiple times and, you know, shown it to my kids and stuff. And when it begins, it's not horrible. So I start to reconsider my feelings because I go, well, you know, this movie's not that bad. I'm talking about Star Wars. You know, this movie's not that bad. I mean, maybe I'm just remembering it in a negative light and I've been harsh all these years. And then Jar Jar Binks shows up and I'm immediately reminded of why I don't like the movie. And unfortunately, he's such a big part of that film that it's just hard to separate all those elements. And I feel the same way about Mortal Kombat 95. It's a really cheesy movie, but when it starts, it's not bad. Like, it's got these fun little fight montages, and you've got, like, you know, Sonya in that, uh, like, industrial club thing, and then, like, Shang Tsung's cool, and uh, you got Johnny Cage doing his movie fight scene sequence the introduction of the boat. You know, there's all these things that are, um, I think are actually good. Like, it looks good, you know, like the sets are cool and stuff. But then the second Raiden starts talking, that's when I go, oh, yeah, fuck. Like, he sucks. Like, he just... So, I honestly feel, and maybe this is being very generous, that the 1995 movie would, like, almost be like a good movie if Raiden was better. Because he's the weak link. I mean, technically, you could say, okay, the acting of Robin Shu is, like, not strong. But I still think he's compelling on screen and, like, he's a good Liu Kang. You know, they got a lot of stuff from the game right. Like, I know it's not, like, super gory like the game. But you gotta remember, at the time, Mortal Kombat really wasn't super gory either. 
right? Like, yeah, you punched people's heads off and stuff, but it was all very Monty Python violence, not the same way the games are now. Now they're very graphic. But I feel like, you know, the 95 film, I think it nailed the character of Johnny Cage. I think Liu Kang was good. Um, it was right that he was the lead, right? Because Liu Kang is technically the hero of the games. He's the one who wins the tournament. Shang Tsung, you can't top, right? He's great. The sets and locations were all good, and they all felt, even though they weren't, like, sets from the game, they felt Mortal Kombat-y, if that's, you know, a word. And the movie centered on a fighting tournament, which is what Mortal Kombat is, right? You know, Katana was fine. They The characters did their moves, so even though the human characters didn't really have superpowers, they still sort of hinted at them, right? So Liu Kang does kind of shoot like a fireball at the end. He does a bicycle kick. Scorpion throws his spear. He says, get over here and come here. Sub-Zero freezes things. Sonya does the leg grab. Johnny Cage does the nut punch. Goro's in it. Like... It did a lot of stuff from the game. So that's how I feel about the 95 film. So I think that's important for you to know going into how I feel about the new one. So how about we listen to another track and then I will tell you my feelings on Mortal Kombat 2021. So we'll listen to this track from Andrew Benin. It is uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, there's Jose Arbello, the king of hell. And then Mike Erdahl, the king of 506066. And Tim Carlton, the king of 50. You guys are all kings in my heart. Now let's listen to this track from Andrew Bennon uh, from the album City on the Horizon. This is I Can See the Stars.
All right, and that was I Can See the Stars by Andrew Bennon. Andrew Bennon, the guy who did the music for Check's Quest. Did they do an HD remaster of Check's Quest? I should say that that song was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, there's Jacob Wick, my semi-sonic friend with the 4488, and City Hunter with the 42, and Hugh Hefner in the 2666 Club. So, let's talk about the new Mortal Kombat film. I think it was alright. I think overall there was nothing I had a major problem with. In the same way that I find Christopher Lambert annoying in the original movie, there was nothing that I found particularly annoying or egregious in this film, but there were definitely a lot of weak elements. I don't think anyone was terrible to the point where I was like frustrated with their performance, but there were definitely weak aspects. So let's get the weak things out of the way first. Number one, inventing a character for the movie and making him the lead is just not a cool idea, and I don't think any fan of the games are going to be happy with that decision. So Cole Young is definitely the main character of the film. Everything in the movie happens sort of in relation to to him, and he is definitely positioned as the lead, whereas in the 95 film, even though Liu Kang is the hero of the movie and he's the one who wins the tournament, it very clearly is Johnny Cage, Sonya, and Liu Kang are the trio of heroes, right? We follow them sort of an even amount of time, so... In this movie, it's sort of like Cole is the lead character and the other ones are kind of like side characters, but you want to see them way more often than you want to see Cole. Uh, The other weak aspect is Raiden. Um, He's just not strong. He's not annoying like Christopher Lambert, but he does not possess any screen presence charisma. Like, he's supposed to be a god and he's sort of just kind of bland and his delivery is just flat. Uh, The other weak thing, honestly, is just the script and the structure. This movie has a kind of loose structure and the overall story is a little odd for a Mortal Kombat movie because... Uh, I guess this is a spoiler, although I think a lot of people basically know this now. There isn't really a Mortal Kombat tournament in this film. The plot of this movie is Shang Tsung trying to avoid a tournament by basically killing everybody before it happens. For fans of the series, it does seem a little weird to have like a, a movie based on a video game that's all about a fighting tournament and then to not have the tournament is a little weird, which then leads into the strange structure of the film because it starts with setting up the Scorpion and Sub-Zero feud, which takes place like many, many years ago. But then the rest of the movie doesn't have anything to do with that feud. So there are these little like connections where it's like, oh, it's all about like the Scorpion bloodline or whatever. But it has nothing to do with the feud itself. Also, probably the stronger scene in the movie is this intro. And then the rest of the movie has nothing to do with this feud, but then it's resolved at the end. And so it's like, what is this movie about? Like, Cole is the lead character, but really the main story is the feud between Sub-Zero and Scorpion, which has nothing to do with the bulk of this film. That's why I say that the 95 film, I think, is a stronger overall movie, because it's just plotted like a proper film you understand the trajectory of the storylines and it hypes you up immediately, right? The original Mortal Kombat has instant hype because they just go right into that song. So that's what I would consider the weaker elements of the new film. But having watched it twice, I do think it's like entertaining and I enjoyed it. 
and I did enjoy it more the second time, I think that there is the potential to weave into a stronger and more ambitious sequel. Another aspect that I was kind of disappointed with was just the locations. This movie takes place in very mundane, ordinary environments, which is very sort of not Mortal Kombat-y. You know what I mean? Like, Mortal Kombat is like, takes place on a weird tournament compound with like ancient statues and ruins and temples and throne rooms rooms and uh, subterranean caves and this movie the majority of it takes place in like warehouse construction site stone quarry so that was sort of disappointing now they do go to some kind of locations towards the end but the way it happens is so sort of quick and the editing's kind of funny that it doesn't really have the impact that it should it's sort of just like hey just teleport me to a cool place and they just sort of go there maybe there is an extended cut of this film where they add in like you know an additional 10 or 12 minutes that they cut out of the runtime that's going to make this movie feel a bit more cohesive but look how about this let's listen to another song and then i will i will tell you what i liked about it all right let's keep this thing fucking uh, positive all right and then of course we'll be talking to glitbiter later in the show so i want to hear well speaking of glitbiter let's listen to this track this was a collab that glitbiter did with jared glenn from the album the curse uh it's brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters in the 25 dollar club there's clint dowling a star apart alex selickson blake peterson eurobeat intensifies and honeybeard and and this is a cool track. This is City of Lights by Jared Glenn and Glitbiter.
All right, and that was Jared Glenn and Glitbiter with the track City of Lights. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. We got Jimmy the Hut, John Masari, Johnny Five, Kempson, and Ken Giroux. You guys are all Giroux-tastic. So, what did I like about the new Mortal Kombat movie? Okay, I'll tell you. So one, they did get the look and feel of the characters mostly correct. So I was fine with that. They've gone with the more samurai look for Scorpion and Sub-Zero, which is fine. I mean, that is how they're sort of represented in the modern games. Uh, The level of violence was fine. In fact, I think it was pretty appropriate to the game. I've, I've watched some reviews where a reviewer mentioned that it seemed like the violence was pretty much PG-13 and then all of a sudden there was a fatality. So it's not like the characters are like super bloodied and bruised during the fights. It's still like, you know, you're watching like a Marvel movie or something in terms of the level of violence and then at the very end it's just like, oh, and then someone gets like fucking murdered in a really bloody way. However, I actually think that's accurate to the game. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Mortal Kombat 11 and like, you you know, in the middle of a match, you do like a super move where it shows an x-ray of a person getting their skull smashed and their bones shattered. And then you like stick a spike through their head and stuff. And then they're just still fighting and they're fine. So I don't have a problem with that aspect. So I think the, the level of violence was good. Sub-Zero was awesome. Like I loved how they, they just totally made him like super power. Like he was almost like the main villain of the film. So it was cool to see him do a whole bunch of cool freeze things. He was definitely super powerful. Howard Kano was really funny. I laughed a lot at Kano. There were so many moments that almost seemed like genuine ad-libbed things that I thought were really funny. Kung Lao was good. Uh, He looked exactly like Kung Lao from the game. He did the moves. He did a fatality that was straight from the game. I think Liu Kang was fine. The tough part is, it's cool to see Liu Kang actually have his superpowers and throw fireballs and stuff. The thing is, he's just not the lead. Right? So he's the lead in the old movie. So it's hard to compare the Liu Kang from the old movie, who's like the main character, versus Liu Kang from this one, who's like sort of a side character, who is sort of doing Raiden's job. Because Raiden's the one who's supposed to organize the fighters and get them hyped up. And it's sort of Liu Kang who's doing that in this film. Like, he's the one saying, like, we got to train and we got to do all this stuff while Raiden just sort of, like, wanders around acting like an asshole. Uh, Cabal was good. He looked like Cabal and he did Cabal's move, so I was fine with that. Except everyone kept on calling him Cabal. Shang Tsung was fine, but you can't top the original Shang Tsung. Like... (laughs) Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, like, who plays Shang Tsung in the old movie, like, that dude just, he's perfect. Like, his face is awesome. He's just such a wicked villain. Like, it's going to be very hard to top him. This Shang Tsung was fine, but definitely not as strong. And I think maybe if they make a sequel, they should give him the mustache, like give him the the Fu Manchu thing. I think maybe he might look a bit more menacing with that. Sonya was good. I think maybe she is stronger than the Sonya from the 95 film. Like Bridget Wilson in the other one wasn't like that great in her fight scenes. Whereas uh, this Sonya seems a bit more athletic, like she f- she felt more believable in her fights and stuff. And the fight scenes were good, but they're edited very... They're doing a lot of quick cutting, which sort of takes away from the choreography. You have to show that the actors were actually like memorizing cool moves and stuff, because if the camera cuts after every punch, then there was no need to rehearse. Like, I can film a fight scene like that. If I get to cut after every punch, the whole point of like studying choreography is so like you just let the camera roll and just have this cool fight scene play out, you know? Oh, and and Jax was good. I liked Jax. 
I think I think Jax was good. Again, it's sort of difficult to talk about because they just put so many characters in the movie that none of them really get the spotlight. Like they get moments to shine, but not the same way that they did in the original movie when there's just less characters and you really build up the fight scenes more. Like this movie had cool moments and every character did a cool thing, but there's an overall sense of just that the movie isn't super ambitious. But then on my second viewing, what I liked was that it sort of reminded me of like a movie from the 90s, like an action movie. You remember when they would make these sort of like, like not every movie had to go to theaters and have like a hundred million dollar budget, right? And so this movie kind of feels like something from that era where it's not a big budget movie. It's not super ambitious, but they're still trying to do some cool things. So the bottom line is I enjoyed it. I liked the movie. And I think that if it was popular enough, I do think there's the potential here to make bigger and better sequels. And I, and I kind of hope that they do. I think that would be cool. And that is, that's what I have to say about it. If you saw the trailer and was like, this thing's going to be fucking epic, like, you know, tone that down. It's, it's not an epic movie, but it's fine. So let's listen to some more music. I've got some letters to read and then we'll go chat with Glitbiter. So here's a track from Le Group Fantastique. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. We got Martin Larby, Mr. Magoo Samurai, Neverman, Newmark, Restless Nights, and Techno Ben. You guys are awesome. Now listen to this. This is Le Groupe Fantastique with Is This Me?
And that was Is This Me by Le Groupe Fantastique. And that was brought to you by an awesome PayPal. That's right. I got a nice little uh, donation here from Christian... Am I going to fuck up your last name? Beeler? Is that how you say that? I think you're Ace B on SoundCloud. Is that right? Uh, He sent me a lovely little uh, PayPal donation of the 1637. I don't know if that means something. Is that a magical number for you? He says... uh, Hey, Andy, keep doing what you are doing. Thanks for making my road trip awesome. I wish I could support you regularly. Hopefully, when I have got a new job, I can become a proper PayPal. Until then, have a drink on me. Well, I will, Ace B. You know, I haven't had a drink since summer of last year. (laughs) I've not had an alcoholic beverage since then. I still think my wife has like a, a gift certificate someone gave her, but I just haven't gone to the store to pick it up. Maybe I should do that. Anyway, listen, Ace B, thank you so much for... That is you, I think. (laughs) Unless I'm just fucking... I'm thanking the wrong guy now, uh, Christian. But anyway, thanks a lot for uh, supporting the show, dude. You're a cool guy. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. I've got uh, some letters here. This one's from Mr. Magoo Samurai. Hey, we just mentioned him a bunch of times. He says, thank you, Andy, for the birthday shout out. Despite you thinking that it wasn't a good birthday message, it's exactly what I wanted. You crack me up, dude. And yes, I do live by a certain code. Never get a haircut by a dude calling himself dude. Genius. Hey, I know the genius. He cut the worst mohawk I've ever seen. I think his moniker is a misnomer and means the opposite, so don't trust him. Thanks again, Andy, and keep up the great work, Holmes. Well, you keep up the great work, Mr. Magoo Samurai, and thank you for supporting the show. You're cool. Oh, and we've got a quick uh, birthday announcement. That's right, we do have a birthday this week. So listen, all right, Mr. Gimson, he's got a birthday coming up on the 29th. That's in a few days' time. A little birdie told me that Mr. Gimson's going to be the big 4-0. He wrote me a letter and said, uh, Thanks for making the show. I recently ran a solo half marathon because we're still under restrictions in the UK, and I listened to the podcast during all of my training and the big run itself. It helps a lot to have good music and some laughs when you're running. Thanks, Mr. Gimson. Well, Mr. Gimson, happy birthday. And I'm glad that you're running. I feel completely out of shape. But uh, Mr. Gimson, happy birthday. Maybe one of these days I'll be the big 402. But you know, that's still about 10 years away. I'm going to start lying about my age. (laughs) Anyway, let's listen to this song. This is a fun one. Uh, It's from The Tilt. And it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Forged in Neon with the 2049. In the $20 Club, there's Joshua Winter and Chatterack. With the 1986, it's Squirt's Fizzlebottom. And in the 1985 Club, it's Rachel and Sarah Buchelman, the Buchelman sisters. So check this out. This is The Tilt with the song Random.
All right, and that was Random by The Tilt. And that's a fun one. That was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the $15.55 Club, we got Gene Creamer Private Eye. In the $15 Club, Hampus ML and Prophet of Jupiter. And then there's Mads Baron Christensen and Skywolf with the 1313. And of course, Retro Serenade, Dennis LaFunk, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Celia Lane. So look, let's go chat with Glitbiter. All right, well, I am here right now with Glitbiter, a.k.a. Florence Bullock. Hi. Hi, Andy. How are you today? I'm doing okay. You are very familiar to the Beyond Synth audience because you are on the family shows, and then we used to do television reviews and things like that on the show, but I guess technically... I've never had you on purely as an artist. Nope. So that's what today is. Does this hurt your feelings that I haven't done this? Yeah, duh. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's my own fault for not coming out with music until now. To be fair, when I first had you on the show, we did talk about music stuff, and I think I even played one of your tracks because you had, uh, there was a, a little uh, three-song thing you released, right? And I like that yeah. song, Airship. Yeah, you did, but you were like, oh yeah, like we'll have you on as like a long-time patron, and like, oh yeah, hey, you do music too, right? So, that was very exciting. I used to know you as Florence... And it was like some picture that was sort of you silhouetted jumping in front of a rainbow light background or something? Yeah, I believe that was a rainbow light display at the Louis Vuitton store in New York. I still use that icon for like some profiles and I'm like, it's like 14 years old now. I I was watching old videos of myself and like all I do now is my eye just goes straight to the hairline. Oh yeah. And so like I I found these old high school videos. I'm like, oh, look how low my hairline is. And I used to be so sensitive thinking that I had like a tall forehead. And I'm looking at myself now, like in high school, I'm like, what the fuck was I like concerned about? Like now my hairline's like two inches back because I'm getting old. I feel like just this year I've aged like maybe 10 years. (laughs) It's like just being stuck at home. Since I am home, I'm like maybe looking in the mirror more and I'm paying more attention. So I'm like, wow, like I don't think that line was like near my eye. But what, what is this? It wasn't something that I was like aware of because I was always like really busy and I was just didn't have time to pay attention to it. And now I'm just like, oh, wow, I guess I look in the mirror more and I see more things. And it's kind of terrifying. Once you pay attention to a particular thing and it becomes an obsession, sometimes I will drop other obsessions for the new one. (laughs) That has happened to me multiple times this year. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to have obsessions like this. It's it's healthy. Yeah, it's the most fun thing. Anyway, look, this is a very weird way to (laughs) start this. So (laughs) nice segue. Well we'll we'll reset and actually like do this properly. So you are Florence Bullock. So where do you come from? I originally, I grew up in New York um, and I was there for 18 years, pretty much same place. Now I live in Los Angeles. I came out here for college and I studied music. Why was LA the music school you wanted to go to? So 
I went to the same private school for 13 years. So I did like elementary school, middle school, high school, all at the same school. So like there was a group of people who I went to school with for 13 years and that it was like the same thing for a very long time. I still have like dreams about being in that school because it was just like such a big part of my life, I guess. It was, it's very strange. But I was kind of sick of it and I was like, I want to get as far away as I possibly can. And I literally like stayed within the country, but got as far away as I possibly can from New York to LA. So that was a factor. But at the time in high school, my favorite band was AFI and they were from California. And I feel like subconsciously a tiny bit, the reason why I end up, ended up in California was because of AFI. Just because I was like so obsessed with them. I'm like, oh, cool. They're so cool. They're from California. Oh, my God. So I was like, California is a cool place. I should go there. And now I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have a very similar thing because I grew up in a really small town. Mm -hmm. So I have friends from public school that I still know to this day because we went to nursery school together and we went to the same high school. And so I know that feeling. Then do you have friends, though? Just do I have friends? Yeah, and yes. <laughs> no, I mean, like, is there people who you still are in contact with, like from the old country? The old country. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like I wasn't like really, really close with a lot of kids in high school and throughout like my time at the one school that I went to just because there were so few of us. I think there were like 82 kids in my graduating class. But when it started, I don't know, there were like, probably like 30 kids when I was in kindergarten or something. So it was, you know, there, there weren't a lot of people to choose from, I suppose. I got along with the kids who I got along with and they were fine. And I, I am still in contact with them. Um, and we, we chat every once in a while. Occasionally one of them gets married and I go to a wedding. So yes, I'm in contact with them, but I'm not like very, very good friends with any of them. So when did you form your like closer friendships? Was that college? It was college. Yeah, because I got to college and I was like, cool, like I can find more people here. Who like AFI just like me. No, actually, <laughs> the first thing I did when I got to college was I looked on the AFI message board and I literally became friends with a girl who I'm still very good friends with who I met on the AFI message board who just happened to be going to the same school that I was going to. <laughs> there was an AFI show like the first month that school started and I needed a ride to it and she was like, oh, I can give you a ride. And I was like, okay, cool. So I just, you know, met up with this random chick from the internet who drove me to an AFI show. But then we became very good friends after that, so... Yeah. But yeah, and then, you know, I, I met more people who I just had more things in common with. You know, since I was studying music in school, I just met people who liked the same music that I liked. So I, I would say, like, most of my close friends are all... I all made those friendships after uh, after high school. Well, how about this? Mm -hmm. Before we get carried away, we should probably listen to some music. Okay. We're doing this to talk about the fact that you you finally have this, uh, this EP out, right? We're going to play some songs from this. Uh, we're also going to listen to some collabs you've done, and uh, we'll talk about that, and that's how we're going to do the show. But I figured we'll start with a track from the EP, and this one is called Follower by Glitbiter.
Blade, and that was Follower by Glitbiter. And I am here with Glitbiter right now, Florence, just talking about AFI and fan clubs. Yeah. Wait a second. Yeah. Private school. Private school. What does that mean? Are you like some rich kid? N- no. <laughs> <laughs> there were very, very wealthy people who I grew up with. I wasn't one of those like super wealthy people. I went to this particular school almost as like a a legacy thing because my mom and her sisters went there. So me and my cousin, uh, one of my cousins also ended up at this school. Right. It was a good education, but it wasn't very like worldly, I suppose. Did you have to wear an outfit? No, there was a dress code. It got less strict as time went on. So like I remember in lower school, we had to wear shirts with collars and our shirts had to be tucked in and we couldn't wear leggings and we couldn't wear tank tops and then like in high school once I got to high school you could wear like jeans and you didn't have to tuck in your shirt and you could wear just regular t-shirts so they were a little a little more lax I don't think you could wear like logos on your t-shirts or whatever it was never like a problem for me so like you had to hide your AFI shirts well no I mean I I had a ton of AFI shirts I still, oh God, I have like so many AFI shirts, it's embarrassing. <laughs> um, I probably have like 30 of them and I don't wear them anymore. I, like, I don't even know where they are, but yeah, I, I didn't wear them to school. I wore them on the weekends or like after school. I'd get home from school and be like, I'm going to put on my new AFI shirt, do my homework. <laughs> That's what I did. Did it make you better at homework? No. I don't really get private schools. My go-to thing in my brain is always like, oh, rich kids, but... Uh... Well, I mean, I think the the idea is that the education for, at least in my mind, it was more like personal, like there were fewer kids per instructor and private schools can kind of like, they can do what they want. They don't have to go by what the state schools do. So... Was it religious? No, my school wasn't, but okay. some schools are. Because what we... There was a lot of a lot of schools that we like played in sports. And like some of those were religious. And it was fine. But also like I, I never went to public school, so I can't compare. Just knife fights every day. That's That was my childhood. <laughs> yeah, that's literally how it was probably described to me. Public schools are really dangerous now. Yeah. I don't think so. Every- Every time I'd get to school, there'd be like this sort of flickering, almost like a strobe light coming from the windows. And I'd be like, what the fuck is that? And I'd walk in and there'd be guys knife fighting and every clang of their knives against the other knife would send this like giant spark. <laughs> it was like Star Wars every day. Ooh, ooh, that's exciting. Yeah, no, there's all, always this like looming, like terrifying notion that you could get expelled. Oh, and then have to <laughs> have to go to school with the riffraff. Right, be- exactly. <laughs> Can you get expelled from a public school? Oh, yeah. Like, you can, oh, yeah. but like it's a lot harder. Yeah, you gotta be. That's like you know you you can fucking kick the teacher in the balls or you know like yeah. punch another student in the head or whatever. Like that's what you get expelled for. But then usually it's only for unless you commit like an actual felony. Usually it's like you're expelled for three days or you know you're expelled yeah, for you a week. Yeah, you get suspended. Or something. Yeah, suspended. Yeah, like I think to be expelled you have to be bad. Yeah, the only detention that I got was for forgetting to put a minus sign on a math quiz. They gave you a detention? It was calculus. I think it was like senior year. It was calculus and our teacher was like, you have to memorize these things. And like we knew exactly what was going to be on the quiz. And for some reason, I just forgot a fucking minus sign. And like the thing was that like if you got anything wrong, you were going to get a detention. And I was like, I can't believe I did this. But then I got out of it because I was like, I have to go to squash practice or I have to go practice for my acapella group or something. And I got out of the detention. So I never had to serve a detention. I was a good kid. You got a detention from a fucking getting a question wrong. Jesus. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. I, I don't think. No, I got detention. I was. I was. Um, mischievous oh oh okay but not bad like i used to pass notes and jokes in class like i I had a buddy who like whenever we were in the same class together basically we would just trade every other day being the one who got kicked out (laughs) just because we write the stupidest jokes to each other which i can't repeat anymore just bad jokes and they were terrible and we'd just laugh our heads off and then just be like andy get out and it was just it was a lot of that yeah my high school was a lot of Andy, get out. And public school as well. I got kicked out a lot because I was always laughing. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Oh, my god! When I was a kid, yeah. I used to laugh in class all the time. Did you have the same laugh when you were in high school or has it evolved over the years? That's an excellent question. I don't know. I don't remember Ooh. what my laugh used to be. Because, I mean, I can see, you know, if you had the same laugh, I can see how that would be <laughs> disruptive to a high school class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know. There were some teachers that just loved kicking me out. Mr. Morley, my fucking history teacher in grade eight, he he got to the point where he kicked me out so often that we just had like a shorthand about it. (laughs) Where like I would, the second like something kind of bad would happen, I would just kind of look up just like, Eddie, out. (laughs) Like, all right. That's impressive. (laughs) <laughs> no, no fighting and I would just go sit in the hall for like 20 minutes or whatever <laughs> yeah but nothing ever, ever bad I never got like caught with drugs or fucking vandalism or anything oh good for you yeah we made it out of high school alive without any terrible marks on our records exactly that's the point right? and now I've just been informed that you used to play squash yeah squash that's the thing I still do really that's like how I work out and so it's been like annoying during the pandemic that I can't play squash because you have to like go to a squash court and you know that's like and it's all indoors so you can't play when there's a pandemic going on mm. but yeah I start the, my school built squash courts in when I was in seventh grade and I was like hey I'll just play this thing it looks fun and I just kind of kept doing it and then once I got to high school there was like a varsity squash team and so I got on the varsity squash team and I was on that for four years and we we would travel around and like play different private schools and like around the northeast I did pretty well I also was like nationally ranked in squash what (laughs) it's actually a very easy thing to do because squash is a very small relatively small community all you have to do is like you had to play in like three tournaments which you just needed to pay to like enter the tournaments Mm. and even if you did like really terribly you would still like count so you played in three tournaments and you needed to like join the US squash association or something whatever (laughs) it was called and then the last thing you had to do is you had to take a referee exam they want to make sure that you know how to like referee a match because usually like at the end of a match you would have to maybe like ref the next match and I just remember my friend gave me all the answers to it so I got 100 on it you should got a detention for that cheating on the squash exam yep but you know they never know (laughs) (laughs) had nothing to do with school let's hope the uh, statute of limitations protects you from uh, prosecution oh yeah no I'm gonna get sued now what is this like 15 16 years later yeah, yeah, yeah. you're gonna get uh, uh, disbarred <laughs> from the national squash rankings i don't belong there i don't belong to whatever anymore i don't care <laughs> 
Uh, look, let's listen to uh, another song, all right? Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's why we're here. And then we'll talk more about squash. <laughs> I want to listen to this one. This was a uh, collab you did with Betamax. We've played it on the show before. Betamax is a cool guy, and I dug this song. This is Betamax with Sky High featuring Glitbiter. Actually, are you credited on this song as featuring Glitbiter or featuring Florence? It's Glitbiter. Yeah, you are right. Cool. I like being right. <laughs> yeah. Then I don't have to cheat on any tests to fucking weasel my way into the squash association (laughs) (laughs) anyway let's listen to this Uh, this is a sky high by betamax featuring glitbiter
All right, and that was Sky High, a track from Betamax featuring Glitbiter. And I am here right now with Glitbiter, a.k.a. Florence, a.k.a. nationally ranked squash champion. Mm, not not champion. Mm. I was never a champion. <laughs> I did win a consolation round once. Nice. It was a long time ago. Mm, in a galaxy far away. Yeah, pretty much. You were in an acapella group? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was like a choir kid in high school. I was like a total like loser dork nerd. I tried to be like gothy, but like none of my friends were gothy. So I didn't know how to be gothy. But yeah, I I did choir. I did like honors choir, which was like a smaller group of choir kids. And then there was an acapella group, which... I think was like 12 people, which was like the smallest group to be in. And we practiced every day after school. Yeah, that was fun. I don't know. Did that a lot. So you like spent a lot of time at this school. Yeah. My life was just school. I worked really hard to get into college. So like my reward was like going off and doing something fun for college. But yeah, no, like I would go to school. I would practice with my acapella group. I would go to squash practice and then I would go home and do homework and then go to bed. That's like, that was my life (laughs) for years. Wow. I did no extracurricular anything. (laughs) I didn't hate school, but I didn't want to be there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't necessarily want to be at school too, but I enjoyed like music stuff and squash was fun because, you know, it was like to run around and smash rubber balls for a few hours you know it was like it was fine did you guys do performances either like the choir or acapella stuff yeah we did you know we would have like spring performance and a winter performance for like all of the choir groups i think we did some like competitions or just like showcases every once in a while they would have the acapella group sing at like donor functions where like all the people who were like donating to the school they would have fancy dinner at some place and then they would have a sing for them <laughs> one of those one of those things i used to uh do videography for a charity organization and so i know all about that stuff it was like all uh bankers and things and then they'd wheel out like it was for like an arts program for underprivileged kids mm-hmm. and so they'd wheel out like the top seven or eight grads from the program and they'd have to like give speeches and then there'd be like singing and stuff and like this is what you're paying for bankers even though they're probably just doing it because the fucking write-off oh yeah if i was like i wouldn't give a shit about like some acapella group (laughs) unless my kid like was in it yes did you do that uh thing that became trendy where like they acapella like modern pop songs we didn't do a lot of modern stuff the coolest thing that we did was we did um and we were like pretty good at it at the time um we did an acapella version of bohemian rhapsody and the last like couple years that I was in this group, some parent complained because of the content of the song. Nice. And we couldn't perform it anymore. But it was just like, are you fucking serious? Because it was like the f- most fun song to do and everyone knew it. And, it, you know, cancel culture. Am I right? Yeah, right. Fuck it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Because it was about, like, guns and stuff, I guess. <laughs> it's funny thinking of that song as, like, you know, Bohemian, you know that song about guns and stuff? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like, 
it conjured like violent images mm. i suppose that would you know not about guns but yeah it's just so ridiculous because it's like i don't think anyone listening to that is going to be like wow i'm gonna go out and buy a gun because i heard this <laughs> song like no but the point is it gave you a, a a love for making music and singing well yeah i guess i feel like my my musical upbringing is so like weird from other people's because like so i grew up rich and to going to a, a private of, school go on yeah fuck you no no <laughs> My family was always, they, they were very musical, but nobody was at an actual like musician. Everyone could like carry a tune and like they knew their way around a piano, but they weren't like actual musicians. But I grew up really close to my grandfather. He had this like gigantic love of music. And so he played a lot of like classical music for me. And I grew up listening to like classic Rodgers and Hammerstein Broadway shows. And then my mom, she listened to like folk rock and singer songwriter type of stuff. So I grew up with that and I really liked it. But it wasn't until I kind of like found music that I liked without the help of my family that like I really kind of just like, wow, like music is awesome. Like I want to do this, you know. And you have no siblings, right? Like, are you only? Yes. No, I'm an only child. But I have I have a couple cousins who I'm really close with. It was like the best situation because they were like my brothers. I saw them all the time, but I didn't have to live with them. Nice. <laughs> and like the cousins who I'm close with, they're one's three years younger than me and one's five years younger than me. I was also the oldest kid around. So I was the one calling the shots and being like, this is cool because like I didn't have any older siblings or older friends to tell me what was cool either. Right. So I was just kind of like winging it. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. That's fun too though. Then you get to tell a bunch of kids to go listen to AFI. Yeah. But since, you know, I listened to like classical music and Broadway show stuff and like my mom was listening to like folk rock and, and all of that. Like I didn't know that electronic music existed for a very long time and the first time i feel like i understood that like oh wow this is like electronic music was literally when i heard eiffel 65 in 1999 (laughs) so i heard like the song blue on the radio i'm like wow this is like different man this is so cool (laughs) and it was just because it had that repetitive hook and it was just one of the first times that i was like wow i i really like this song and it's different from what i've grown up with it kind of like sparked in my mind like there's other music out there that's so cool but i was in sixth grade when that came out so i was born in 1988 still got in the 80s but i grew (laughs) up in the 90s but i feel like i didn't like do anything cool in the 90s either so like i don't have a lot of nostalgia from for 90s music either because i just i wasn't paying attention Yeah. I was too young to be paying attention. In in solidarity with what you're saying, mm-hmm. when I was in sixth grade, the electronic music that I uh, discovered, that's around the time that I got into dance music. Mm-hmm. And that's when I discovered like kind of dance music. And so I was listening to Two Unlimited, <laughs> which was my first cassette I ever bought was Two Unlimited's second album. Uh, what the fuck was it called? It was, No Limits was the first. No, No Limits was the second one. No, No Limits will reach for the sky. And that's super corny dance music, which... Uh, I, I still have a soft spot for it, even though it's fucking ridiculous. But, you know, we were in sixth grade. We didn't know any better. And this is pretty terrible, but you're going to like it because you're not <laughs> you're not old enough to realize that it's terrible. But I tell you, listen, I tell you what's cool yeah. is cool music from Glitbiter's upcoming EP. Hmm. And I want to listen to this one. This is actually this might be my favorite 
track from the album, but then I'm a weirdo. Okay. It's called Out of the Wasteland. Oh, the intro track. <laughs> by Glitbiter. And that was Out of the Wasteland by Glitbiter. And I'm here right now with Glitbiter, a.k.a. Florence. Now, you've been sitting on this album for a long time. All of the songs on this new EP are, like, really old. Because, Andy, I'm pretty sure you've heard all of the songs, like, two years ago. Yes, I think I have a folder around here called Glitbiter Secret Tracks Do Not Play On Show. Yeah, probably from two and years ago. And what is the actual date of that folder? Let me see. Oh, yeah, that'd be funny. Fucking Apple Eye, motherfucker. 2018. Wow. April 9th, 2018. Wow, I thought it was two years ago. That's even worse. Well, there you go. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, you can, as you can see, these tracks are really old. Anyway, this is probably the oldest one. And when I recorded the vocals for this, I was really sick. 
like I had a really terrible cold or virus or whatever. Mm. Um, this is way before COVID. I didn't have COVID. I was terribly sick. And I just remember like I came up with this song and I was like, oh man, like I think I have a really good, really good vocal line for this, but I guess I'll just record it just to like do a placeholder. So I did. And I was like, wow, that's not a terrible take. Like I'll redo it again. So I waited like a few weeks and then I tried to re-record it and I just like couldn't redo exactly what I did. I just couldn't reconstruct the exact way that I wanted it to sound because I was just so used to this way that I had sung it when I was so sick. Mm. So it's the same take from probably like 2017. (laughs) (laughs) So did you go to an actual like music school or a school that had a music program? Yes. (laughs) All right. I ended up getting into a music school, which was part of a larger university. So that way I could like still do music, but I could also take other classes within the university. So it was like kind of exactly what I wanted. It ended up being a really good music school. And I was like, cool, I wasn't even planning on this. I guess I got in for music, so I guess I'll do music. So I was in a vocal arts program. I got in for singing, but I don't really love opera that much because, you know, it's all opera. And everyone was like, oh, like, you know, are you trying it for the opera? I love this new musical theater show, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to a metal show this weekend. See y'all next week. Like, I I just had no interest or I couldn't really connect with a lot of people in my program just because I wasn't, we didn't have the same interests. So I ended up switching my major to music industry. That was a program that the school offered. I thought that was more practical because I was like, oh, I'll work at a record label and I can actually make money and, you know, all, all the shit, which is bullshit because then like after a couple of years of that, even though I majored in that, I realized I don't want to work in like the business part of music. That's no fun. I want to be in the creative part because that's what I'm good at. But when I switched my major to music industry, I ended up taking a couple Pro Tools classes. And like I knew how to use like the basics of GarageBand before that. But um, when I took these classes, I actually got the skills that I use to produce music. And I don't use Pro Tools anymore. I don't know who the fuck uses Pro Tools anymore. But Did you, uh, did you have to use an M-Box? I did have to use an M-Box. <laughs> there was a computer lab where we took the classes and the computer labs had, had M-Box 1s in them the first year I did this. Nice. I think the next year they switched them out to M-Box 2s. I had to get one of those in film school because we had a sound class mm-hmm. and so we had a class that was all Pro Tools. Yeah. So I had to buy a fucking M-Box. Oh, you had to buy one. Yeah. Jesus. Well, you have to buy an M-Box to use Pro Tools and so it's I like mean, I think that's 750 I, bucks and Jesus Christ. All the words bugged me. Like I M-Box and Spidif cables. <laughs> like just those stupid words. Like I always just hated hearing it. This fucking you got a Spidif cable? I'm like fucking Spidif. It's so that's stupid. A, that's a dumb word. I know it stands for something, but it doesn't make it any less stupid. The first M-Boxes were so fucking ugly too. They looked like mini just like old computers. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I had one or two. I had the one that was sort of like a grayish purpley color. That was the one, I think. Because yeah. the, the two is like, it looks more like a box. And it's it's blue and gray, but it doesn't have any purple on it. And after I took those classes, I ended up getting a used like Mbox Mini. And so I used that on like an old MacBook. Maybe I recorded some of the vocals from my first EP via 
that Mbox. Mbox One. That's what I had. I had the fucking Mbox One. I'm just looking at a picture of it now. Mm-hmm. What a stupid thing. Yeah, that's dumb. Because eventually, like, I got a new computer and I didn't have, like, the installer for Pro Tools anymore because I think, like, Pro Tools came with Mbox, the Mbox. I don't forget how it worked. But I was like, I'll just get Logic because Logic is like really cheap relative to anything else. So I taught myself Logic and I was recording with the Mbox for a while. And then I upgraded to El Capitan. (laughs) And I was like, wait, why isn't my Mbox working? And then I found out that Avid, those bastards, stopped supporting Mbox 2. So I couldn't get the driver for it. And I was like, well, fuck this. Right now I have a Focusrite Scarlet. The preamps are fine, but the preamps in the Mbox were better. So that's why I'm going to upgrade my audio interface. (laughs) You know. This is the kind of talk people like. I'm doing the thing that you hate. Let's talk about like stupid bullshit things, Andy. Well, look, (laughs) I want to listen to another track. Uh, I think we we did play this one on the show before. This was your uh, collab you did with Gregorio Franco, Mm -hmm. which is a kick-ass track. And uh, I've always dug this one. And we're going to listen to it right now. This is Awakening by Gregorio Franco featuring Glitbiter.
All right, and that was Awakening by Gregorio Franco featuring Glitbiter. And I'm here with Glitbiter right now, a.k.a. Florence Bullock. Hi. This is like the only song where I feel like we hear Florence in power opera mode. On <laughs> power opera mode. It's really good. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, you can make that sound? Like, <laughs> Yeah. I don't tell people that very often. They're always, like, really surprised. They're like, wow, you can actually, like, sing. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I went to school for that. <laughs> I don't mind singing opera stuff, but I, I just don't like watching it. Sure. So it's not that I'm opposed to it. But when Gregorio sent me the song... There was just something about it that I, like, I was trying to sing in just like my normal voice and I just couldn't come up with anything. And I was like, you know what? This is like really epic. This sounds like some power metal shit that I need to just like do some opera stuff on. And I was like, so I asked him, I was like, do you mind if I just do full on opera for this? He's like, uh, okay. Like, I, <laughs> I think he like didn't quite get it at first. And I was like, okay, don't worry. Like, let me just send you some ideas. And it was really cool because the music went perfect with it, I think. And it was a great way to like showcase his ability and my ability. And it was awesome. So it was really fun to do that. But it was also like different because singing opera into a microphone is way different than singing regular into a microphone for me. Why? Because I had to like pull the mic like far back because I was like, oh, wow, I'm projecting more. Yeah, I forgot I could do this. Explain to everybody what Glitbiter is. A Glitbiter is a person who addicted to the spice glitter stem, which is mined on the planet Kessel. Star Wars. It's a Star Wars drug addict. That's literally what it is. And hey, guys, I don't promote drugs or anything. I always liked that word for some reason. I was like, wow, that's such a cool word. <laughs> and then like, I literally the first person who was like, it sounds like clit biter was my mom. <laughs> she was the one who told me that. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to stick with it because it's memorable. Then people were like, what clit biter? That's hilarious. But you know, it's fine. I'm laughing along with you all because it's kind of funny and Again, it's memorable. Like you do a double take every time you see it, if that's where your mind goes at first. So yes, I'm very aware that, of what it sounds like and it's intentional. Is there a word for that? Like that sort of intentional where you do a thing that's not offensive, but you do it in such a way. Like, isn't there that fucking brand that's like FCUK? Yeah. Right? And like the whole joke is like every time you see the shirt, you think you're seeing fuck, but it's not. There's got to be a word for that. Yeah. Like there must be a word, like a weird misdirection because then it does make you look again and that's what you want people to do, right? So Yeah, exactly. If people always mistake Glitbiter for Clipbiter, then you've embedded yourself in their brain like in a secret way. Exactly. When I was in grad school, I took a class on uh, persuasion. Ooh. That wasn't like the name of the class or anything, but basically we learned like persuasion techniques. There was some technique like that where, you know, you basically like trick people into looking at a thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, look at that. I'm using my grad school education. <laughs> yeah, I should uh, learn some of those techniques and get some people to listen to my show. Yeah. I don't know what the trick is. I got to hang some boobs out the window or something. Yeah, that'll do it. What an image I've just <laughs> conjured. So then how did you find fucking Synthwave? I guess I have to start with like why I like Synthwave so much. Since like I didn't grow up with like 80s music or anything. So it's not necessarily nostalgic, but like it seems like it's nostalgic to me for some reason. The thing that I always 
go back to is was there was this computer game that I played in eighth grade. So what was that? 2000, 2001, some, sometime around there. And this game was called Candy Crisis. So the game was like, whatever. But the music was so fucking awesome. <laughs> At the time, like I didn't know what it was, but I was like, this is amazing. Like, oh my God. Like if you go and you look up like Candy Crisis music, level one, don't listen to that because it, that doesn't count. But like everything else is amazing after that. And it, it was just a bunch of like electronic music. And there was one level that was like straight up synth wave pretty much. I played basically just to listen to the music. Like there was this one track that I would just, I would play until I got there and I would just try and sustain my score so it wouldn't go above a certain point so I wouldn't get to the next level just so I could listen to the song. (laughs) There were a lot of like synth wavy elements and it turned out in like years later I found out that it was a bunch of people from like the mod scene who made this music. I had no idea what that was back then but I like tracked down a lot of the artists who made music for this game and all of the music was on YouTube and I was like looking through the YouTube comments and there was this one guy who was like, yeah, like, I'm happy that, like, you know, you all like this song that I made back in 1990-whatever. And I was like, oh my god, is this person... So I actually, like, contacted this person. I was like, oh my god, did you make the music to this game? This is amazing. It was, like, such a fangirl moment for me. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, like, me and, like, a few of our other friends did it. And then I found a website that just had pretty much, like, everyone's artist name. And turned out I had, like, two mutual friends with one of the people who made a bunch of the music music and it it was very exciting. So I feel like that game plus like my foray into like Eiffel 65 and that whole shit that it kind of like solidified this need for electronic music. So Andy, you always say that like you like Synthwave because it has a melody. Yeah. I feel like that's exactly why I like it too because you can catch on to melody even if it's instrumental and I feel like a lot of the popular electronic music that's out there it's very repetitive. Like I liked it but I never got really into it and it never really did anything for me. So like when I found Synthwave I was like holy shit I've been waiting for this my entire life. Oh my god. So I found Synthwave because I went to a concert of a band called Clan of Zymox, who is this, I think they're from the Netherlands. They're this like gothy, dark wave band from like the 80s and 90s. I posted a picture of them on Instagram and Dance with the Dead liked it. And for some reason, I looked up Dance with the Dead and I was like, what is this? This is amazing. (laughs) And I listened to like just their stuff for a while. And then I went down a rabbit hole because I found a new retro wave through them. And then I was like, wait, there's a record label that does all of this stuff? Oh my God, this is amazing. Like there's more of this. And then like, I don't know, a few months later, some loser named Andy Last added me on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, who the fuck is this guy who thinks he's so cool doing a fucking synthwave podcast? No, I'm just kidding. I was like, I was like, whoa, there's a synthwave podcast. That's amazing. And so honestly, like I listened to a bunch of your shows and I was like really really inspired by it and that just kind of like solidified it and yeah so that's how I found it and like I was just I was purely like a fan at first but again listening to your shows and like listening to all of the artists 
being able to relate to a lot of the artists and being like, wow, like everyone's kind of a solo artist and like a lot of them have full-time jobs too and they do music on the side. And I'm like, I have these skills, like I can do this. Why am I not doing this? In my mind, I always wanted to be part of a band and I never found people to be in a band with me. So I was like, okay, I can just do this on my own. This is cool. That kind of like inspired me to start writing too. And it was just the more people I met, it was just a really cool community and you know. Yeah, and funny enough, you originally, you know, not being able to find someone to uh, to be in a band with you. And then uh, recently you were invited to be part of uh, Dead Astronauts. Yes. And I thought maybe we'd listen to a track from that album. Mm-hmm. There's a, a track I dug on there called Thorns. Oh, yeah. Is that a good choice? That is a good choice. I didn't do a, a ton of the, like, production. I did mostly kind of writing vocal lines, but that particular song I wrote the melody and the lyrics to pretty much completely so yes that's a good choice well maybe that's why I liked it so much man Mm. anyway look let's listen to it this is dead astronauts with thorns
All right, and that was Thorns by Dead Astronauts. And I'm here right now with Glitbiter, a.k.a. Florence, who has now joined Dead Astronauts. How did that come about? That was kind of out of the blue. So Jared, who he's kind of like the heart of the band. He was the one working closely with Haley. Uh, there's another member um, named Slade. He likes to be kind of like the secret producer, but we give him all the credit because he does most of the production. But uh, Jared reached out to me and basically was just like, hey, we're looking for another singer. We really like your voice. Like, are you interested? And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, I love Dead Astronauts because like I knew dead astronauts probably i knew about them from your show honestly i feel like most of the artists i know from the synthwave world are from your show unless i like met them in real life but i was like sure like let's give this a try and it was cool because they wanted to go in kind of like a more dark wave cold wave direction instead of just doing like straight up synthwave which they were never like super synthwave to begin with but i liked that direction because when I write music, I don't. That's not necessarily what comes out of my brain. I always find also writing with other people is like inspiring, and also like it gives me more inspiration for not only just writing with them, but also on my own too. So I was like, yeah, like this is a cool situation because I like this genre, I like what they're doing, and it'll just kind of give me another outlet of music writing. So I gave it a try, and we all kind of liked what happened and so yeah that's what happened it wasn't like some crazy thing it was just they asked me to do some vocals and it worked out we joined with uh, a record label cold transmission who's based in germany which is interesting if we ever have like zoom meetings with them we have to schedule like according to we have to be like okay well it's 9 p.m in germany but it's like 12 p.m here and it's like i mean you do that all the time yeah messing up and forgetting time zones is like the story of my life you know it's, it's one of the nice things when marco moved to the states because australia's time zone was always the one i had the hardest time with no actually actually no that was new zealand Mm -hmm. new zealand's the harder one i think that my memory's no good (laughs) i mean hopefully you know like my time zone and like mike's time zone (laughs) yeah i think i do now after like 30 shows I have a really bad memory. I feel like I forget things really easily. Usually I'm I'm good at like remembering visual stuff and I'm good at remembering music stuff. You know what it was funny? This is kind of relevant. I went <laughs> I like any story that starts that way. This is kind of relevant. <laughs> In my old building, I I had to go down to the building office for some reason. And the building manager asked me, like, oh, yeah, what unit are you in? And I, like, could not remember the number of my apartment unit (laughs) that I had lived in for five fucking years. (laughs) I know it starts with a three. Yeah, but if it's not something you say out loud a lot, it makes it difficult to recite it out loud. You know, it's like muscle memory. Like, when when I online bank, I I type in my password using the num keys. But Mm -hmm. when I was at my dad's, I had to, like, sign in uh, one time using his keyboard that didn't have num keys and i couldn't type in my account number exactly like even though i sign into my bank all the time it's like it's the same with forgetting people's names you know if you don't say their name out loud there's a person who i have met three times and i know i've met this person three times because i remember every time when i introduce myself to this person and they go Oh yeah, no, no, we met we met at this thing. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's you. Three fucking times. <laughs> if you're that person you and you're listening, you know who you are, I'm sorry. I know who you are now. 
because it's very embarrassing to me and I, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person who's like an asshole who like doesn't remember people. I get myself into that stupid sitcom situation where I do recognize I've met someone before, but I don't remember their name. <laughs> and then when that situation comes up where all of a sudden you need to know their name for something, oh my then God. it's like that. All right, how do I trick them into saying their name so that... Uh... That's happened to me so many times because, yeah, I don't remember names. I remember faces more, way more easily. But yeah, names like forget it. But usually when that happens, what I try and do, because when you have to say their name for any reason, it's when you have to introduce them to somebody. So Uh. usually I kind of just like wait until they just introduce themselves. And so then I can like make a mental note. Okay, that's that person's name. Cool. (laughs) But then sometimes they will introduce themselves and like I heard it the other person heard it no problem and then I forget their name two yeah. seconds later <laughs> yeah my my worry too is if I miss here because I'm like uh oh like if I don't trust what I heard I'm like did he say Bill or what's a name you can confuse with Bill Ball Will <laughs> yeah and then I'm like Bill oh Ball. fuck I can't call him the wrong name that's even <laughs> worse than not knowing their name mm-hmm. mm. anyway look let's <laughs> this is another really interesting conversation yes let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, listen to another song. I want to listen to another track from the EP. Okay. And then maybe we can probably wind this down. Oh, yeah. Unless there's something... Uh, well, whatever. Well, well, first we'll listen to some <laughs> more music, all right? This is a track called Blade by Glitbiter.
right, and that was Blade by Glitbiter, and I'm here with Glitbiter right now, a.k.a. Florence, who makes cool music. She's finally put her EP out. It's there for you. Yeah, good job. (laughs) Thanks for promoting that so well. Well, that's what I'm known for, is brilliant promotion. Me too. You should go get some black light coffee. (laughs) I don't drink coffee, though. Well, (laughs) neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not I'm not a good businessman and I never will be. And until this podcast gets an influx of like millions of dollars and I can just like hire an assistant because uh, that's what it takes is a million dollars. Just a million dollars. Yeah. Anyway, look, <laughs> listen, now that you're on uh, Beyond Synth as a guest, uh, does it feel any different? I feel like if I hadn't been on your show like 30 times, I feel like I would have been really nervous, but... We talk all the time, so that's pretty normal. But no, I mean, in all honesty, though, it it means a lot to me. It really does. You better start crying, damn it. Yeah, you're going to start I want to hear some tears. You want me to start crying? Yes. I'm going to make you start crying, Andy. Yeah, that's not happening. But no, because, you know, I when I discovered your show, it really kind of like brought me into the synthwave world, and I credit my love of synthwave and my initial success... Success is a relative word because I'm not successful, but some people know who I am and it's probably because of your show. And I really, I appreciate that. And it's been a thing. I'm like, I want my own fucking Beyond Synth show. Because <laughs> it's been three, four fucking years. So anyway, that's that's my story. <laughs> well, I technically owe you. I mean, you know, all the time <laughs> you make to record the family shows and record your audio and you've uh, done voiceover stuff for the show. So it's, uh, it's the least I could do. But I still want to keep you on your toes. You could still fire me. I guess. You're fired. That's, that's what today was about. <laughs> to give you like that high and go like, uh, hey, you finally got your own uh, episode of Beyond Synth as a guest and at the very end. And oh, by the way. It's my exit interview. Yeah. <laughs> go join another podcast, dummy. Well, before this, I was doing wrestling podcasts. So I guess this is a step up. Like, I'm sure there's lots of stuff we've talked about before where I'm like, do I bring it up in this episode? Do we talk about Star Wars and wrestling? I mean, these are big parts of your life, it seems. And Yeah. But I feel like we've we've dealt with this stuff. I think everyone knows that I really like Star Wars. I don't know if they know about wrestling, though, because when you when I first started talking to you that I was really deep into wrestling. Mm. But now I don't I don't watch wrestling anymore. That was like a thing of a few years ago. It was very fun. Wrestling's great. And I still hear about it through like some wrestling Twitter friends that I have. But occasionally I'll do a podcast with those guys, but it's not a wrestling podcast it's like a nerdy podcast just with the wrestling people right but uh i don't know if i said this on the show i beat a professional wrestler in a round of mortal kombat once (laughs) i'm like what does this mean (laughs) it means everything so wait so who was the wrestler and what does this mean (laughs) i think I was being very literal with that question. I don't know what it means because I'm really bad at Mortal Kombat. I did not grow up playing Mortal Kombat like a lot of people did. Every time I play Mortal Kombat with somebody, I usually end up winning like one or two rounds. And I'm like, cool, at least I... I'm not like not getting like zeros on everything. <laughs> the wrestler was, if a listener is a wrestling fan, you will know this person as Ricochet, who is, I believe, currently on the WWE main roster. Ooh, what car- who'd you play as? Probably. I hope it was Scorpion. Because I, I like Scorpion. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I'll just say it was Scorpion. That's cooler. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. It was Scorpion. You know. 
Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of relevant to this show. It is. I am a big fan of Mortal Kombat. I know. You're going to probably have seen the Mortal Kombat movie by the time this comes out. I hope so. I might have to rent it. Since I'm in Canada, we have our HBO content on Crave. And even though we got Justice League on day one, like HBO Max, Godzilla didn't come to the service. How long did it take Godzilla to get to your country? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I think I, I, you can order it from Amazon. Like, rent it. Okay. But then it's like 25 bucks to rent. And then you have to watch it within two days and it goes away. That's like how fucking Disney Plus is doing their like premiere thing where you yeah. have to pay like 30 something dollars to watch a thing like immediately I'm like no Ryan, I'm the wait. last dragon yeah Mulan yeah no I I waited to watch Mulan how was that it was okay yeah a lot of things are okay I don't think it was the best movie I've ever seen in my life but it was fine like I didn't have any problems with it I'm kind of indifferent to movies because movies are always like entertaining to me but you know there's some movies that I really enjoy a lot but even if a movie is like terrible I'm not gonna be like this is the, I'm, I don't know I'm not gonna sit there and complain about it it was a movie <laughs> I know, I know people have very strong opinions on some movies. I go into movies wanting to enjoy them, and I'm usually not, like, always disappointed. I'm like an edgelord. I go in wanting to hate, and I have a notepad. Once the movie starts, I just start writing down everything I don't like. And then I can go on YouTube and, like, do this angry review of the film and get, like, 17 views. <laughs> That's the goal, right? Yeah, the goal has always been 17 views. And so <laughs> until I can number. find a way to hypnotize people into giving me 17 views on this fucking podcast, we got to figure out a way. <laughs> I need to learn some of your fucking hypnotism techniques. My hypnotism techniques? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do I know how to hypnotize people? I don't know. You took that persuasion class. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I did take a persuasion class. Maybe I've just hypnotized myself so I don't remember. Mm. Yeah, no, we didn't learn hypnotism. We didn't learn that in my grad school class. Well, it's real easy. You just take a pocket watch and you stand in front of a person and wave it back and forth and go, you are getting sleepy, and then take their wallet. I'll try that sometime. Do you want to listen to another song and then we'll say just goodbye? Should we listen to another EP song? Should we listen to another collab? Up to you. You pick. Pick anything. Play Turn. All right. I like Turn. All right. Well, let's listen to it. This is uh, Turn by Glitbiter.
All right, and that was Glitbiter with the track Turn. And I'm here right now with Glitbiter. We have been chatting with Glitbiter, but now we are going to say goodbye. Glitbiter is Florence Bullock, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Listen, we, we've had a fun chat today. We've learned we learned something new about you. We learned that you play squash. Yeah, I do. That you did acapella or acapella. Acapella. I don't know. Fuck off. <laughs> pronounce it like that? You pronounce words weird. I don't ever say that word. Acapella? Acapella. Acapella. I don't yeah. know. I, maybe acapella. some people say that. Acapella? I don't know. I mean, I don't say acapella. Like, every every time... Because you just don't say the word. Yeah, every time I dust off like, a word I never use, I will do the wrong way first. Someone will make fun of me, and then I feel like I don't want to come across as being defensive, but I actually don't pronounce the word that way either. It's just that it's like, you know, when you start a car for the first time, you haven't been in a car in a long time, and it makes a funny sound, and like the puff of black smoke shoots out the back. That's not the analogy my mind would have gone for, but okay. Yeah, so that puff of smoke is me going like, vigilante, <laughs> you know? So like, oh, vigilante justice. And then like, you say vigilante? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't actually. I say vigilante. I don't know why I just said vigilante. Well, sometimes I'm reading words and I see them and I was like, you know, I've never said this word out loud. And I have a, an idea of what it sounds like in my mind, but I'm always like, eh, I'm probably wrong. So I pronounce it really weirdly. And yeah. then I'm like, did I just pronounce that word really badly? Should I be embarrassed? That's why I do that quietly by myself. I just make sure no one's around. I'm like reading a book at nighttime. I have a little flashlight and I, I look to make sure no one's looking at me. And then I'm like, pasta? <laughs> pasta. Did you uh, did you ever make pasta with your, uh, your pasta measure? Yes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How's that going for you? It works. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For all the listeners... Who don't know? I got Andy a pasta measure mm. for his birthday. Yeah, it's a it's a useful thing, I'm glad. and uh, it does what it needs to do. Although I tend to break my pasta in half if I'm making spaghetti, like I crack Ooh. it in half. Are you saying that just to annoy me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then I have to sort of put it through the thing twice because I've technically. <laughs> I, I have some Tupperware things that can't hold a whole uh, length of a spaghetti noodle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got to go. <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> what an ending. Anyway, look, wh- where where do you want people to go, man? You want them to, to get the EP? Yes, go to glitbiter.bandcamp and pre-order my EP, which is coming out on April 30th. And if you happen to catch this after April 30th, then just buy it. It's also going to be on all of the streaming services, Spotify, Apple Music, all your favorite places. It'll be there on April 30th as well. At least I hope so. That's what I told the distribution thing to do. So I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully it'll be there, but it will be on, on Bandcamp. So you can at least give, you know... I get more money on Bandcamp anyway, so... Perfect. And then if they buy it on Bandcamp Friday... Oh, yeah. You can wait, like, a week. Wait a week and then buy it on Bandcamp Friday and then I get more money. Bandcamp Friday is the first Friday of every month, right? Yes. Are they doing Bandcamp Friday this time? I haven't gotten an email from Bandcamp saying they are. Ooh, interesting. Maybe they're trying to quietly still do it but not advertise it as much. Mm. Anyway, look. 
The point is that we have been chatting with Florence Bullock, a.k.a. Glitbiter. We're going to be hearing from you again next week because next week is the family show. Oh, yeah. Everyone's going to be sick of me by then. Mm. But it's fine. Well, if that was the case, people would be very sick of me because I'm on every episode. Yeah, I could see that. There's even some episodes where there wasn't a guest, although I haven't done one of those in a while. Oh, yeah, I remember when you did that. Mm. They're not very popular. I listened to them. Well, thank you. You're welcome. That's that, the, the whole point of this show was just so I could wind it at the end with you making me feel better. Oh, yeah, that's the dream. Well, yeah. um, Andy, thank you for finally having me on. Well, no problem. And people should go check out your music. It's good. Thanks. I like it. You've got a lovely voice and uh, you've made some cool tracks and uh, go buy it. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. And that was my conversation with Glitbiter. Sort of interesting to have a person who you talk to all the time and then and then do like an interview. Did we learn a bunch of new things? <laughs> anyway, no, I had a good time. And uh, of course, go check out her album. It's cool. If you liked what you heard today, then you're going to like it. And uh, I hope you all have a lovely week. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. I think it's the family show next week, and we're uh, trying something new. I've got a new idea for the uh, family shows that's going to uh, hopefully be fun for you guys to listen to. We'll see. But uh, until next time, I'm Andy Last, and you've been listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Thanks for Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.